This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Work used to be, I had a schedule morning to evening. Right now, we are talking about everything being unpredictable and everything being unstructured. And in this environment, when work is becoming a lot more unstructured, unpredictable, that's where the value of pay-to-duty then becomes relevant. With each quick shift in our working world, is there a way to achieve stability to make smart business decisions? A platform like PagerDuty can bring some much needed operational organization when conditions seem to be ever-changing. Meet Manjula Talreja. Our guest today is SVP and Chief Customer Officer of PagerDuty. Drawing upon her experience as a customer advocate, she claims there are ways to make structured predictions in an uncertain environment. Listen in to learn more about how PagerDuty provides businesses worldwide with proactive capabilities that Manjula suggests can change the way companies run. You might know PagerDuty as a tool that just alerts you. I'm telling you, you don't know what they're up to now. Manjula Talreja, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Listen, I'm pumped to have you because I mentioned before in our pre-call, I am a former PagerDuty customer, although I don't need it anymore. So we're excited to hear some of the things that you're up to. But for our audience that doesn't know what PagerDuty is or does, can you please tell us what is PagerDuty and what does it do? You know, Albert, if I just said what is PagerDuty and what it does without context of what's happening in the world, audience is like, so why does it matter? Yeah. So why don't I get started with what's happening in the world? In all of our lives, there's more data and less structure, more information, less knowledge, more interdependencies, less visibility. And the digital platform is accelerating. I'm no longer walking into Safeways and Whole Foods. I'm getting it online. I believe that in this environment, we have created an environment where we've broken work. Work used to be, I had a schedule morning to evening. Right now, we are talking about everything being unpredictable and everything being unstructured. And in this environment, when work is becoming a lot more unstructured, unpredictable, that's where the value of pager duty then becomes relevant. So pager duty actually was invented by Amazon engineers during the last big downturn in 2008. And what did they do? Engineers were moving into a DevOps environment that was unstructured. Mm -hmm. The digital platform needed to be up all the time. And so we started as an on-call tool. And what PagerDuty does and where it started and where it is now, it started as an on-call tool. Born SaaS company with data, collecting data from the customers on all operations aspects that are creating an environment where when a minor disruption or a major disruption happens on a digital platform, it calls the right people at the right time, based on the rules engine, to decrease the mean time to resolution and increase uptime. And you know, right now, uptime equals money. That's right. So that's where major duty started. But what is pager duty right now? Everything is urgent now. 
whether it's a food recall in a store <laughs> or whether there is urgency where doctors need to reach a potential suicide patient, everything's urgent. So pager duty now is become at the heart of driving an operations platform that is solving for everything that is urgent, everything that's unstructured, and everything that's unpredicted in solving problems at a very, very fast pace where seconds matter. So we have moved from on-call to becoming the operations platform in a digital-first environment. That's pretty crazy how it's evolved since I first experienced it. When I, you know, I'll talk about because I want to support what you just said. When I was in software, PagerDuty was one of the first big changes we made to our. It, it wasn't called DevOps at the time. It was just our infrastructure team. You know, the category or the name labeled DevOps did not exist yet. This was like right around 2014. DevOps culture kind of got started big. I say between 14 and 17 is when we really started seeing more companies call their team members DevOps. But I do recall at the time, it was exactly as you said, it was because we were getting too many false positive alerts from our alerting systems and monitoring tools. And our developers were just frustrated because they were spending too much time investigating the problem rather than solving the problem. And that was one of the first things our team noticed when we went to PagerDuty is like, okay, this is smarter now. If problem A is occurring, it gets person A to fix it. Problem B, person B, problem C, person C. You know, if person C superior is person C plus one, it like knew to move the call up. So perfection. But you've said something that has changed a little. Because when we used it or when like kind of like what you said, when it was originally designed, it was just for or it was more catered to, let's say, for the let's say the tech teams that were solving these problems. It sounds like PagerDuty starting to morph into a smart alerting engine for services too. It's like not just critical problems, like actual services, things that people need to do within a business to provide better, faster service. Is that is that accurate? It's like moved out of just the tech team that's solving these problems. It's moving to like, this is how we're going to use it to operate again with customers. You are absolutely right. And this is multidimensional. You know, McKenzie just took out a report that basically said a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, 41% of companies were digital in terms of their customer experience. Now it's 65%. That's exponential growth. And what is it in that digital experience? It's not just the engineers and the DevOps environment that is driving that. Yeah. It's end-to-end -end from a company perspective. It's not the practitioners like you who need to solve for sleeping better at night and calling the right person it's become on the CEO agenda now because CEOs are driving customer experience because customers are no longer loyal. They may jump from one customer to the other. So in order to drive customer retention and in order to drive that customer experience, which ultimately drives the efficiency of a company, retention of employees and up levels the revenue of a company, it's become end-to-end. -end. So pager duty has moved across organizations from just engineering. We are at the heart of IT, and here's what's interesting. We are at the heart of customer service as well, because when a disruption happens, it's end-to-end. -end. And support people are sitting in their tools of Zendesk and, and Salesforce and whichever ones they're using. Engineering is sitting in their own tools. And PagerDuty is the glue that's bringing them all together so that when even a two-second disruption happens and a customer calls, 
The customer support individual does not have to do a swivel chair back and forth between tools. They have a central place where a call's coming in, they've got the engineering information, and that's what we are driving in terms of an end-to-end operations cloud platform in order to make all companies ready for their digital experience, whether it's a B2C business or a B2B business. Yeah. And so that is what we as customers can't wait to see happen because we've had a couple of different guests on our show that are in, let's call it the service side vertical, of, you know, people trying to build systems to make customer service better because we've all been there. We've all been customers on the other end of the line where we called in or chatted in, as you said, in a digital way where we had a problem. I think most of us have flown. So I think 100 percent of people that have flown have had this problem, but you just really want someone to help you. And inevitably, even if, if you talk to somebody, whether it's through chat or on phone, they always, like you just said, they rely on another system. No one can actually just solve your problem. In the old ways, you would just kind of get put into like the phone tree of waiting. You know, you have to go from the service agent to service agent. You have to restate your problem. It was annoying. Now it makes total sense. Every business is trying to solve this faster. And you said PagerDuty is evolving the platform. So that must mean, are you guys starting to not only plug in via APIs to transfer this information between systems and platforms? Are you also developing actions? For example, like I'm going to now, will PagerDuty be the platform I'm actioning the result in or actually actioning the solution in? Give us an idea of how this platform is building because it's got to be plugging into just about everything from the service side to the ops side. Everything's got to start, I guess, plugging into PagerDuty if that's going to be the spine that carries that information uh, from end-to-end customer experience. I love you say the spine. Can I indulge you and say we are the brain yeah we are the brain in the middle of oh the brain too <laughs> the spine and the brain are connected right that's right we have apis with 600 different applications so that all that knowledge about alerts is going through pager duty but here's the interesting part not only are we moving from function to function within an a company we have become a multi-product company. You talked about on-call, you talked about alerts. We are driving the analytics, but here's what's the interesting dynamics that's going on. Think about it. Is it all about humans or is it about robotics? It's about artificial intelligence. It's about machine learning. What if we unload humans' efforts into processes that happen that are repeatable and make it machine learning? That's the role of automation. So absolutely, can we automate automatically drive a self-healing environment which automatically heals it, fixes it without even human intervention so that you're moving as a company from reactive to a disruption to proactive. And that's what we drive in terms of the maturity curve and are helping customers to move from reactive to proactive, because customer experience is going to a completely new level. 30% of companies hear the problem disruption in their digital environment from customers. What if so many of our customers are talking about, can we proactively engage the customers and predict that we are going to have a potential disruption? And how do you move a person, a company from proactive to reactive and bring in the machine learning, automation, human, and create that magic. 
And recently, we acquired a company called Catalyst that is driving no-code workflows because this isn't, again, about engineers. Like I mentioned earlier, it's about, and we talk more about it, use cases that our customers are using us for that we hadn't even fathomed. Yeah. But think about a platform that we just launched, which is a workflow platform that is flexible, that allows customers to drive anything all the way from legal organizations to HR organizations, to sales organizations, to manufacturing flows with PagerDuty as the brain in the middle of that. Well, listen, I got to ask now because what are I got to hear some of these use cases because I know of one that you mentioned earlier, like the, at the core of this is like is a better customer experience. Right. And I remember one time flying and I might as well just name the airline. I flew. I was flying. I can name it. I was flying Delta Airlines and, you know, flights got delayed. Makes total sense. It happens all the time. The big difference between Delta and every other airline was when I landed, it already figured out a better path and rebooked me and asked, do I accept it? Meaning I got a, I landed. I got an alert. Hey, you've been delayed. Here's a new alternative path. Do you accept it? Of course I said yes, except like this, like why would I why would I say no? That was my first time seeing, and I don't know if it was a person that did that, if it was AI, probably a combination of both, but it was the first time I really thought like a business was proactively looking out for me, kind of like what you said. And I was like, man, this is really great. Like they're actually doing this for me. I think about my credit card companies that proactively look out for me with my notifications, real-time alerts on people that are putting inquiries on credit reports. So far, it's not, you know, thankfully I haven't been had my identity stolen yet, but it makes me feel good that it's like real time, constantly thinking like, am I doing this stuff? And it's easy to approve. But I was hoping to hear some of the other use cases and things that you're seeing, because you're probably seeing so many different companies. And like you said, they're pushing the forefront. And just like you said, when you're by acquiring low code or no code tooling must mean that there are solutions being born from non-technical people, more like upside people that are like, hey, if I had this solution, I could solve this problem. And you're seeing them like, well, let's give them a way to build that. So I got to hear, what are some of these things that are happening that are like kind of defining the new world of customer experience and customer service? You bring up a very good point about Delta Airlines. I had a similar experience as global services member at United Airlines. And what are we doing today in the world? We want everyone to that to have that experience. It doesn't matter what tier of a consumer you may be. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of use cases. A major grocery store in North America has 2,000 stores, 20,000 people working in their stores. Do you know that food recall happens about four to five times a week, if not more, at a grocery store? <laughs> no idea. I, I mean, I, I see it on the news every now and then, and you see it like, oh, you got to destroy or toss whatever this is, but that news doesn't break four or five times a week. <laughs> exactly. It's a reactive versus proactive. They are rolling out pager duty to all of their 20,000 employees so that there's an alert when there's a food recall where the clerk who's sitting on the aisles and loading up the shelves doesn't load them mm. so that there is a complete communication through the entire value chain of the grocery store to the point that the checkout cash register also gets that alert so that by mistake, if it has gone onto the checkout, that the customer mm. doesn't pick up that lettuce and walk away with it so that they don't have to listen to the news. Because remember, we've got a data overload 
I don't listen to the news about recall. Yeah. That's about being proactive, right? That is. And that is a really... Oh, that's massive. It's massive. Let me give you another example where it's become life and death. I was sitting in London talking to Cambridge Cognitive CTO, having a CXO level discussion with her. Do you know what he shared with me? What's that? He shared with me that they work with patients that are more aged who are getting dementia and others, but they're also working with mental health in reference to suicides. And based on some questions that a potential, they call them customer, but a patient went is answering certain questions with a higher propensity to commit suicide. And the alerts that go into a clinician and the doctors mm-hmm. are all recorded in pager duty. And based at the end of it, if they can save the life of a patient, they can go back on what they did right so that they can repeat it. Hmm. And vice versa, looking at all the various steps because pager duty is tracking every single step that has happened until that event occurred. And if somebody passed away, they can go back and look at it. Think about it. Pager duty is saving lives. Pager duty is at the heart of this mental health, which has become such a big thing in this current environment. And we are saving lives. I can go on and on with other stories in reference to the various providers of energy and electricity and how are they reducing truck, uh, truck rolls when there's an outage due to maybe a hurricane on the East Coast, a fire in the West Coast, a storm in the Northeast. And how are they using us? Because that's an alert as well. So it's not just about saving human lives. It's not just about FDA approvals for a biotech company. It's not about food recall, Mm -hmm. but it is about the current environment where the mass resignations are occurring. It's about providing more sleep to an engineer at night. It's about employee retention. But here's where interesting things are happening, where if as we are driving ROI for customers, where we have from 300 to 900% ROI return on investment within months, we are also improving the life of human beings. We are focusing on companies' top line, where customers now are spending more time on innovation and growth as expensive engineers and feeling a sense of purpose in the company versus resigning and going to another company. It's at the heart of customer experience and employee experience all coming together. And pager duty is at the heart of that. You know, when you were telling those stories, I was thinking about what I just watched with my kids or my son over the weekend. Uh, So I had the, in the, in the past, I'd worked with uh, Yu Chen Li, who is uh, now the CEO of Allegro, Allegro, but he was part of the MIT card counting team. And we watched that scene where the people kind of is kind of like what you were talking about. Like the security team is literally watching tape all day long and they're trying to spot things. Right. But just like you said, if you spend too much time doing something, monitoring, hoping, waiting, I'm waiting for something to happen and nothing happens, then that signal when something does happen becomes noise and then you don't you don't see it. You somehow don't see it or you miss it. And I was thinking about the way you described the medical field. What if I had a system that said, 
You don't need to overthink about your patients now. You can focus on doing your research or whatever it is you do best. But in the event that something critical is about to occur, I'll tell you then, and you can pay attention to this. And if you are doing this with confidence and we're not hitting false positives, then that lets me hit exactly what you said, which is I can spend more time doing probably whatever it is I'm best at. And then when that situation does occur, I can handle that situation. Now I'm handling both. And I was thinking about also when you were talking about that grocery and, and just thinking about, man, it is so hard because I was because I've worked as a stock clerk to get to roll something back. It took forever. You couldn't reach the employees. You had to like do an all hands meeting by then. Who knows how many bags of lettuce you've sold? Like, you have no idea. <laughs> I'm just if I'm a stock handler, I just throw it on the shelf. Like, it's not really I don't think about things like that. And like you said, I don't read if I was a stock handler, I wouldn't read the news either to see like, oh, I shouldn't put this on the shelf. I just have an order, put it on the shelf. It's there to be able to alert someone in real time. This speed to notification, is that what brought you here? Because you didn't start at PagerDude. You came here more recently, but like, did you start seeing this happening? We're like, man, this is the future. Like everyone's going to need a tool like this to to react faster. What brought you to the company and what made you say like, hey, this is where I want to be next? I love this question. It wasn't just about my thinking. A lot of people influenced me on joining PagerDude. I was doing extremely well at Salesforce. I loved the company. They are the innovators of SaaS, if you think about it, Bond SaaS. That's right. They are leading edge in customer success in post-sales. First, I was actually, for Painter Duty, it's not just the technology. It's the people, the culture, the values, and the vision on where the company is going. So there are multiple dimensions of me joining PagerDuty. Our CEO, Jen Tahara, our CRO, Dave Justice. And I've known Dave Justice through Cisco and Salesforce and have a huge trust in him. The conversations, the vision Jen has as steering us into becoming a billion dollars, I spent a few months with both of them and was so convinced about it. But you know, I'm a customer-centric person. To me, I need to hear from customers. What is PagerDuty? What is the future of PagerDuty? And here's the interesting analysis here. My husband's a venture capitalist. And he said to me, Manchula, this job is made for you. And I said, why? He says, I want you to talk to a few of my friends who are PagerDuty customers for the last eight to 10 years. And these customers, these People are executives now and vice presidents in companies like Snowflake. And they have been PagerDuty customers from DevOps to now. And that's when, when I started talking to customers, not only are PagerDuty customers loyal to PagerDuty, we have renewal rates greater than 95%. It's unheard of in the industry. But they are huge advocates. And what did this particular customer tell me, one that really stuck in my head. He said, Manjula, PagerDuty is well beyond on-call. It's the mule software. And he defined operations cloud for me and what the future of PagerDuty is. And that's when I was blown away. So if you think about it, why did I join PagerDuty? I believe in the values of the company. I believe in the vision of the company. Love the leaders the power of the market and what customers are saying. And here is where I ran big businesses. And now I'm building a big business to drive the top line of the company 
but with a focus on customer centricity, where customers love PagerDuty. I'd like our audience to understand a little bit more about you. You mentioned before you were on the, the consulting services group at looks like Cisco, uh, similar roles, I'm assuming with Salesforce. Typically, uh, or customer success groups is what they call it there. For our audience to understand this, this is, and, and I don't want to speak for you, so I definitely want to hear from you directly, but typically these, these are the groups of team members that when people or customers buy software, a lot of times they don't know how to optimize it, right? They have a seat. Sit, like If we all think about us as customers on the customer side, we've purchased software before where it's like the AE might have said, hey, it's going to help you do X, Y, and Z. And you're saying, that's what I need. Sign the contract. Then I got it. Okay, now what? Because it's just a blank screen. <laughs> and the customer success teams usually have to come in and help me implement it and like say, this is how we connect it. Is that the kind of the background you had where you were helping different companies with whatever software they purchased to say like, hey, this is how we're going to solve this problem? Let me start with my career and talk to you about going back to customer centricity, championing the customer and how that's a spike in me. But I do come from a general management background. I started my career in IT and I grew in the ranks of IT and I joined Cisco when it was 500 million, had a great ride there and left Cisco when it was 50 billion. I moved from IT, I love, and you know what was happening when I was in IT? I was getting in front of customers and actually talking to other IT organizations on how to build the best in class IT organizations, doing best practicing on how we drive our technology for the growth of our company as we were driving huge growth. And that's when I realized that I'm a customer centric person. So I went into strategy consulting, I went into engineering, I went into sales, I went into services. So I did a tour of duty every three years within Cisco across multiple organizations with my eye on the customer. And then I left when I was in services and then consulting services at uh, Cisco. I left Cisco and I was actually pulled in by my mentor a major luminary in the industry, Maria Martinez, who was then president of customer success and now chief operating officer of Cisco and went into the customer success group. And that's where I really learned customer success is about making the customer successful, driving for SaaS companies, driving adoption, driving growth, doing this right level of deployment, having the customer drive the right architecture, but it's ultimate about the business value the customer must achieve. Why have they bought our product? They don't buy a product just for the technology. They buy a product in order to solve their business problems. That's my background, heart of customer centricity and really understanding what's the business and technology imperatives of the customer. And that's where I learned it. And then I worked at Salesforce very much into learning how SaaS companies drive it. And why is that different than Cisco? It's different because SaaS companies have the data of the customer and they know, which is what we do right now and having operations data. And you touched on noise for the customer. We go in and do quarterly business reviews for customers and share with them, this is the noise level that you have. This is how you can optimize the noise level so that really the right alerts are driven. This is your opportunity for automation. This is your opportunity for optimizing your technical debt in having the right architecture. That's about adoption for the customer and then ultimately driving the level of ROI that I just mentioned to you between 300 to 
so that they are driving a more efficient business to drive and focusing their people on driving innovation that ultimately is driving customer experience for their customers. How do you go about and how do you envision building a team to do this? Because where PagerDuty sits, it's very expansive. Like you said, it's not just for DevOps, not just for developers anymore. So I would imagine your team has to be versed in multiple things, right? From the from the support ticket generation to the resolution. But the difference is you're talking about 700 implementations or integrations. You have to have the foresight or if I'm architecting a PagerDuty flow, I call them flows. You probably have a different term for it. But I have to have the foresight of how this customer is going to engage the business, how the information is going to flow, who are the players that can solve this problem, and then what tools do they need to be able to solve this problem? Because now i got to do the, the downstream integrations. What do you look for in terms of team members to do this? Because not everyone's going to have that experience or that knowledge of all these toolkits that you're going to be integrating. I want to put another twist to it. What's that? Do you know where the magic is? Human and data science. The best combination for the leading customer success groups, which I believe we are one of them, is how do you use data science on how the customer is using your product to the people in your organization? Hmm. So let me step back and share with you what is the customer success organization at PagerDuty as an example. It has customer success managers that are at the tip of the spear in terms of driving the adoption, the deployment, and ultimately becoming the trusted advisors for the customer. We have professional services that will come in and do your implementations. We have the support engineers that are deeply engaged as are the customer success managers with our product team to hear the customer's point of view. What are their requirements? What is it that is they're calling us for? We have a data science team that is at the heart of understanding how our customers are using our product, we have the PagerDuty University that is enabling our customers to understand our product a lot better. And last but not the least, a very important part of the SaaS business, which is recurring revenues to the renewals team as well. Mm. You have to have the right operating model as a customer success organization. And what do I mean by operating model? People process technology. What is the data science, but also common tools so that you have a 360 view of the customer, whether they're making support calls, whether our services teams are, are engaging, whether our customer success teams are engaging, whether our pager duty university teams are engaging with the customer. How are we engaging with them between digital and human? And as well as to help their success, as well as driving the overall organization on the right processes, as I mentioned already, the systems, and then the people. It's the right combination of people that are not acting like customer service agents that are reactive, but are leaning in and understanding the customer problem and proactively engaging in solving their business problem. I like that. You got it. It sounds like a multifaceted team that's going to get that done. On the surface, if someone says, hey, customer success is all about another customer success, yeah, that seems pretty, pretty obvious. My question for you is how do you measure it? Because that's another thing that I think a lot of new customer success leaders in, in tech software platforms, they don't really know what measurement is. Because if you measure it by renewals, renewals are a lagging indicator, right? Because if they don't renew, you did a bad job. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? And if you do a good, and if you do get renewals, you did a good job. But what 
in the process between, you know, contract execution to renewal time, how do you measure your team's success? You nailed it. A churn or a downgrade a customer does during a renewal process is a lagging indicator. The leading indicator upfront is, did they deploy or not deploy? Okay. Did they deploy a part of the organization or did they, even before adopting, did they deploy? If they bought a thousand licenses, did they deploy 90% of it or not? And then did they optimize on it? So let me talk about the role of customer success team and how that customer success organizations are moving from becoming, again, reactive to proactive. A reactive customer success organization will drive churn and downgrade. Yeah. Churn and downgrade and renewal rates. They, that's at the heart of it, but keep in mind, that's at the heart of the top line of the company. And for people that don't have a deep understanding of SaaS companies, if you keep the platform, have very high renewal rates, every time a salesperson sells software, that's only incremental. Right. But if it's a leaky bucket and that platform starts dropping in terms of high attrition and low renewal rates, then you have to resell to make up for it. So churn and downgrade is at the heart of a growth of a company, but that's not enough. It is also in terms of the role of customer success, folks, is if you're driving 90% deployment, and if you've bought 100 licenses, and you're going to do that with speed, then they'll need more licenses. And that becomes an engine. And that's why we have so many customers buying our products more often than even before their renewal rates. But now we've become a multi-product company as well. So how do we measure our organization? We measure our organization by, number one, churn and downgrade. Next is deployment and adoption. And here's the third kicker. When you're driving deployment and you're driving adoption of a customer, there may be certain products that they may not have bought. For example, if they've got too much noise and you're helping the customer drive success, and they have too much noise, and there's an opportunity for them to automate, the customer success managers can have that discussion with the customer saying, if you optimize your infrastructure, either with automation or having the right architecture with our services organization or with our automation tools, they are creating more opportunities for our sales team to to sell, but most importantly, to drive the success of the customer. So we are becoming not only the churn and downgrade engine to maintain that for the company, but we are driving the net retention of our customers and expanding in our customers. That's why our renewal rates are greater than 95%, but our net retention numbers are greater than 120% for our customers, which is world-class. There you go. 95% of customers stay on 120, you know, of those customers, they end up having more than 120% of services. You know, Manjula, it was awesome having you on the show, hearing how you approach it. And I, and I love it. We've had a lot of different people on our show. And I just like how you just brought it down to like, hey, listen, yes, renewals and retention, but listen, you got to deploy. And that was one of the things that I struggled with when I was in charge of a, yeah, a software company is like, 
because we couldn't really pinpoint why a person needed more seats. We had a CEO that was like, we need to sell more seats. Like, but they don't have more people that need it. That's the key to where, what I would assume is the key to pageantry success is the fact that you're constantly figuring out ways to help notify more people to into that value chain. And like you said, CEOs already want this. They already want a better digital experience. They want better customer service. They know that customers now today, all of our interactions are digital. They know that we're, like you said earlier, not very loyal as customers. We will go to the path of least resistance. So it makes total sense that if your team can figure out new solutions that more people can utilize, then that's where it is. That's where it is because that's what every CEO wants. And that's what we as customers want, which is probably the most important, I think. When I talk to companies like yourself, I always think to myself, well, how does it benefit me? Because inherently, I think all humans are a little bit selfish. They want to know, like, how's it going to make my life better? And that's the reality. If companies are better at servicing us as customers, we win. And you win. <laughs> you're, you're synthesizing this really well, because here's what's happening in the market. Chief customer officers are now getting into growing into CEOs because customer experience is becoming so important. I just read in the Financial Times on how they're in line to become CEOs because that customer centricity is super important. It's about driving the growth of the customers, the success of the customers, and in parallel, the customer success organizations becoming front and center in the CEO agenda rather than a reactive group, just servicing the customers, driving instead the success of the customers. That change of term, service, customer service to customer success is very, very important as we are transitioning in the industry on driving greater customer experience. Well, Manjula, it was awesome having you on the show. We look forward to seeing more continued success. I personally can't wait for your AI tools to come into more companies because I want that more proactive experience. I think we all benefit from it. It was awesome having the show. Thanks for sharing how you built your team. Thanks for sharing some of the things you're working on. And overall, probably the most fired up thing you just shared was just that right there. So if you're out there in IT listening to this show and you think to yourself, huh, how do I get a seat at the biggest table, right? The CEO seat, you become customer success centric. If you can figure that out, there's always going to be a place for you at every company because essentially that's what everybody wants. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you, Albert. The Lightning Round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Manjula, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Yes. All right. We read a little bit that you spend some time working with certain philanthropies. Tell us about the philanthropies you currently work with. I will, I'm on the board of City Year. It's a nonprofit that is engaged with AmeriCo members in schools that are underprivileged across the United States. And that, why is that? Because I grew up and I was born in India where I saw a huge economic diversity, if I can use that, but disparity between the rich and the poor. And what got the poor to become middle-class? Education. So my calling is to educate and bring education to the young one child at a time. That is awesome. Big believer, uh, as I'm born to immigrant parents, of course, it, education everywhere. What is one of the craziest IT problems you've ever solved in your career? It was early in my career. This is so cool. I joined Cisco when it was 500 million. We were less than about 600 employees. And we used to have 27 free drinks in the refrigerator. 
the facilities organization tried to reduce it down to 20. The engineers were so upset that with their complaints, they brought the servers down. Can you believe what IT had to do? Basically, I had to go to the CEO and say, you cannot cut those 27 drinks. We need to get our servers to be... Wait a second. The... The IT team created so many service tickets over the drink reduction that it actually brought that system down. Yes. I thought it was so cool. I was in IT and I'm like, this is the (laughs) most humorous and the most challenging because we were a tiny company. And you know, when tiny companies don't have their processes and systems in place, even 27 drinks can bring down the IT systems. Hey, listen, if you're a CEO listening out there, once you start, once you... Listen to me, Julia. Once you put the snacks on the table, you can't pull them back. You're done. That's the that's the minimum required amount of snack and drink you need before you cause a problem. <laughs> what would you say is the most challenging aspect of being a leader? In my mind, being a manager and a leader are very different. Leaders actually set the vision. Leaders are the one who raises bars so that the teams grows. And leaders bring the teams along. In today's environment of mass resignation, every leader needs to do soul searching. All that we've learned all these years, some of it may be relevant today, some may not. And here is where I'm doing my soul searching. And I think as a huge challenge is deeply looking at your own leadership skills and understanding the why of every employee. Why are in this job? What makes them work? What are their long-term plans? Where are they? Why is pager duty important to them? So that you, they go on the journey with you. Very different than how we thought even three or four years ago. There you go. Angela, it was awesome having you on the show today. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks for sharing a little bit about you. I love that little IT problem, nugget of wisdom, your philosophy on being success oriented, because that's the next wave of CEO. And I also loved how you broke it down very simply for anyone out there that's trying to measure his customer success, which is, hey, besides renewals and retention, just get right down to it. Are you deploying? Are you optimizing your seats and licenses? Making sure the customers are, like you said, getting the most value out of each and every one of their seats earlier in the process. If you can do those things, typically it'll work out great. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries.